Here's what you need to know as we continue our story this week. Last week, we witnessed the rebuilding of Jerusalem's walls in 458 BC. Today, we're going to move back in time before the destruction of Judah in the south and before the destruction of Israel in the north. The year was 735 BC, and the Assyrian Empire was expanding its reign and power. Fearing that Assyria would soon come to attack them, Israel formed an alliance with its neighbor, Syria. Then the two of them traveled south to force Judah to join them. When Judah's king Ahaz balked at the idea, Israel and Syria threatened to invade his country. Now Ahaz had a choice to make. He could join this new alliance, hoping that these three nations together might fend off an attack from Assyria. Or he could send for help from the Assyrians in hopes that they would come to deliver him. Around this time, the prophet Isaiah came to Ahaz and told him that there was a third option. Instead of trusting Israel and Syria, and instead of trusting Assyria, he could trust Yahweh, looking to him for deliverance. Judah, however, was desperate, and Ahaz couldn't see any way that God would bring immediate relief to this situation. But Isaiah promised him that God would save his people if only they would trust him and wait. Judah was desperate, and Ahaz had no ability to see. And that is a description of a king that lived a long time ago and a people that lived a long time ago. And when you hear about history, when you, or you read about history, you, you wonder, well, what were they so worried about? Why were they so concerned? That's an easy question to ask of history. It's, um, I, I think the same thing could be said uh, when you're looking on Facebook, when you're reading on Twitter. What is everybody so worried about? So there's a new tax plan. What is everybody, so, what is everybody freaking out about? Why is everybody all worried about North Korea? What, what, what's the big deal? Why, why, why is everybody all worried about these things? What would you say to me? Well, no, you don't understand. You don't get it. You know what's going on right now, and you know how terrible it is, and you know how we're all going to die. I mean, that's kind of how, you know, social media works. Who can be the most offended? Who can be the most upset? Who can be the most concerned? But when you look back in history, it just seems so small, doesn't it? And, and yet in the midst of looking at that history and looking at our today, we are called by God to remember him. Judah was desperate and Ahaz couldn't see. And America was desperate and Jim just couldn't see. That's kind of how life is. I love the, the, the preacher and the writer Tim Keller. And he said recently, and I thought this was good, he said, Christians aren't good optimists because we know too much about sin and the world that we live in. But neither should be Christians good pessimists because they know too much about the living God. Isn't that a good description? I mean, I just, I know too much. I had a funeral just a few days ago of a little girl. I know way, way, way too much about this world I've experienced too much. I've been in pain too deep. I can't be an optimist. But, but I also know God. And I know who Jesus Christ is. And, and I know what God has done. And I know what God is doing. And I know what one day God will ultimately do. So you can't be a pessimist. And I find myself living somewhere in between. I know what you say. 
I'm a realist. Oh, yet once again, you figured it out perfectly, right? Isn't that what we like to say? I'm neither an optimist nor a pessimist. I'm a realist. I get it exactly. Yeah, I, I know. I want to be one. I just, I find myself, if I'm not careful, if I'm not centered, if I'm not focused, I find myself vacillating back and forth between optimist and pessimist, trying to be one or the other and failing at both. And so what we're going to do this morning to deal with our situation, the fact that right now it's 2017 and it's the beginning of December and Christmas is upon us, what you and I are going to do is we're going to go back into time. And we're going to take a look at Isaiah's day. We're going to look at his circumstances. We're going to see what God did through the prophet Isaiah. Words that he spoke truth into King Ahaz's life and into the nation of Judah. And we're going to try to understand it. Okay, this is what happened then. And then we're going to step into the next phase of what Isaiah described by the hand of God in Jesus' day. And you're going to see that a lot of the the texts in Isaiah chapter 7, 8, and 9 were not just offering hope to Isaiah and Ahaz and the rest of their fellow Israelites, but actually um, it was pointing ahead to Jesus' day where God again was going to move and was going to act and was going to make a difference. And I don't think we need to apologize or feel bad, but we're going to end up in our day. We're going to end up kind of asking some questions. So in light of Isaiah's day and in light of how that cast a a wonderful picture of Jesus' day, but now Jesus has come, so now what? It's a good question to ask. It's a very simple move. Start in Isaiah, deal with Jesus, end up with today, so that you and I can leave here this morning aware that, yes, the world around us is desperate, and those who are even in positions of leadership do not have the ability to see, but we do. And it's not because we're smarter. It's not because we're better. It's not because we're more spiritual or more intuitive. I I don't believe that. I know I want to believe that's true, but it's really not. It's, It's a gift from God this morning. That he gives us a word that you and I can then decide, are are we going to trust it? Or are we going to go back to the drawing board and try to figure out our own way to deal with our anxieties and our concerns and the problems in our lives? Let's jump back into Isaiah's day. Isaiah chapters 7, 8, and 9 are going to be the text that we're going to look at. There's a lot that is happening there. And there's a lot of actually uh, prophecies that are going to come up. There are words that I'm going to say to you from Isaiah. And you're going to go, aren't you in Matthew? I think that's in Mark or Luke. Like that's because these three chapters have a lot to do with God's ultimate plan of rescue. And they were first written to a king, Ahaz, and to a prophet, Isaiah. But you can't get to Isaiah 7 without Isaiah 6. You don't need to turn there, but you should know Isaiah 6 is a pretty important text in the Bible. It's a text where the prophet Isaiah has a vision, a a, a kind of a very real experience where he is in the temple and he sees the Lord high and exalted. And the presence of God casts this overpowering, this, this this overwhelming presence into his life. And so by the time that he's done, even though he's been given a difficult task, who is going to go and share this very painful, very difficult message to a people who do not want to hear it? Who's going to do this? That's when everyone goes, I hope she's here because I don't want to do it. Well, I hope he's going to raise his hand because I don't want them to call on me. Isaiah, after being overwhelmed by the presence of God, says, here am I, send me. In light of who you are and in light of how you've revealed yourself to me, I want to go. Like, I'm ready to go. Not because it's easy, but because you, and in your presence, you 
have overwhelmed me, have overtaken me. And he leaves the presence of God and he walks into the presence of a scared king. A little bit of the background, Ahaz's father, King Uzziah, was a good king and he's dead. That's how chapter six begins. In the year that King Uzziah died, and he, he died at a pretty pivotal time in Israel's history, as you heard described to us. It was a time when there was this big, bad nation, Assyria, and they're coming to threat. And then you've got your, your, your local problems. You've got the nation of Israel, which has always been at war with Judah. I mean, there were times when they were, could kind of come to a, a matter of having a common enemy, but for the most part, they did not get along. Their borders were always threatening one another, unlike Canada and the United States, right, where you just don't have to worry about what's going on north of the border. Judah had to worry at times what was going on north of the border. They were deeply concerned about what Israel might do. And in light of the fact that Assyria was posing a threat, Israel decided to join forces with Syria to protect themselves. And when Judah didn't join in that alliance, they decided to threaten them. So that's how Isaiah 7 begins. Isaiah 7 begins by King Ahaz hearing, hey, there's this ruler and he's got some nuclear weapons and he's like launching these missiles and he's threatening... No, that's not Ben. Israel is threatening Judah. There's this, this, this crazy leader and, and kind of formed an alliance with another crazy leader. And now they're th breathing threats and saying that they're going to come get us. And King Ahaz knows enough to be afraid and doesn't know enough to not be afraid. And so what does he decide to do? He decides to do what good kings do. I've got to make sure that we're prepared when the enemy comes because the enemy Israel and the enemy Syria are, are real enemies. And we've got to be responsible. And so in Isaiah 7, when God tells Isaiah to go to speak to him, he's actually at a particular site where he is checking out the water supply. That's what kings do. Make sure that our army is well fit. Make sure that every man is in his place. And make sure that we have enough water. So that should the enemy come, when we retreat into our fortified locations, we will be able to sustain an attack from there. He, he didn't know to trust God in this. He didn't know that God had them. I mean, I'm sure he's heard of the stories of, don't you remember what God did during the, during the time when he pulled his people up out of Egypt? Don't you know what God did at the Battle of Jericho or the Battle of Ai? Do you not know what God can do? Ahaz just knew enough to be afraid. And Isaiah walks up to him, and Isaiah says, everything is going to be okay. The word of the Lord has spoken, and I know you see them as threats, but they're actually, the, the, the analogy that is used in the beginning of Isaiah 7 is they are burning stumps. They're not great trees. They're, they're, they're stumps that have been cut down, and you're kind of burning them up so that you can just get rid of them completely. That's what they are. No, I was watching the news this morning and they didn't look like a burning stump. They looked like a big threat. Like what you're asking me to do here, Isaiah, is you're asking me to trust that they're burning stumps, but they don't look like burning stumps. They look like great big threats. Yeah, I, I, know, I, I know they look like that, but what I'm telling you is the Lord has spoken and I, he needs you to see beyond what they look like and see what they truly are. They're burning stumps, literally. Um, they're cigarette butts on the ground. Like don't worry about them. look like that. God says to King Ahaz, what I want you to do is I want you to, um, since you don't believe me, ask for a sign. Ask for a sign to trust me in the idea that these things are burning stumps. Just ask me. 
And Ahaz does something that is very interesting. There are, there are people in the Bible that look more noble than they are. When you go back and read the Judges, they look, um, and then our Sunday school teachers kind of help us with, with, with Gideon and Samson, and they look like heroes. When you read the text, like the grown-up version of the text, not the children's version of the text, it's more complicated. They're messed up people. King Ahaz, I'll make this sound noble. No, prophet Isaiah, I do not want to ask the Lord for a sign. I'm too humble a king to do that. That's kind of what he says. I don't want to test the Lord. I don't want to try the Lord. I'm not going to ask for a sign. What I think he's saying is, I don't really trust God with how this is going to work out. And I know that every time God gives signs, he kind of asks us to like follow along and to go with it. And I don't think I have the ability to do that. Like, I think I'm going to just make sure our water supply is good. I'm going to make sure that our army is strong. I'm going to maybe talk to Egypt and see if we could get an alliance with them. But we're going to have to do something else because I, I can't ask God for a sign because, A, I just don't trust him. Like when he acts, he, he does things, and he does things like from the side and underneath, and I, don't, I just don't feel comfortable trusting him sometimes. He, he sometimes takes me through the valley of the shadow of death, and he tells me not to fear any evil, but it's dark and scary. And King Ahaz looks noble as he cowardly says, I will not ask. So God says, well... If you won't ask. By the way, tip here real quick. If God says, give me a sign because you're having a hard time believing me, ask him for a sign, okay? Real quick application point. If God comes to you through a prophet named Isaiah, you might want to ask for a sign. But I love this fact that the Bible describes God as saying, okay, well, my plan is not contingent upon your faithfulness, King Ahaz. It's not contingent upon anybody's. It's contingent upon me, and I have a plan. And so, tell you what, I'll give you a sign. You want a sign? You say you don't, but I know you do. But I'm going to give you a sign. There, there is going to be a young woman. Now, if, if you want to take a look at this, look at Isaiah chapter 7, beginning in verse 14. The king has done his little game. Now Isaiah is going to speak on behalf of the Lord. And again, see, if I were to ask for a sign, I want like lightning bolts. I want like my name in the sky. Uh, I, I want something so clear that I would have no doubt at all. Even though every other time God has done that, it's just taken me a little bit of time to catch up and go, ah, I still wonder, right? God, make it clear, and he makes it clear, and then time makes you wonder. You ever been there? You ever been, like, so clear, and now you're not so clear? What happened? Oh, time. Isaiah speaks, verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign Behold, the virgin will conceive and bear a son and call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Because when armies are coming, what you need is God's presence with you. That's what Emmanuel means, God with us. Now, I know you're already in Matthew's gospel. Don't go there yet. Like, what do you mean? How, how is Mary being pregnant 740 years later going to help King Ahaz at all? And, and truly, in a very real way, not at all. Like It's not going to fix Ahaz's problem, right? So what's God doing here? This is what I love about what God does. When, when, we, when God says, can you give us a sign, and we say no, and then he gives us a sign, he always gives us signs that we just would never figure out. See, what, what Ahaz needs to know is, 
are these countries going to disappear? Are they going to go away? I don't think they are. I really don't think they are. Just step into history. Can, can you imagine if we just gathered together and we just prayed that somehow God would defeat the king of England and that the Americans could win the Revolutionary War? Well, dummy, that happened a long time ago. Oh, you're right. So what, what, what's, what's the new one you want to worry about? The Tsar of Russia? Oh, yeah, he's not around either. Okay, what do you want to worry about? You want to worry about the powers of, of Germany and Austria that have just marched into Belgium? No, oh, that's 1914. It's much, much, much later than that. Oh, okay. You want to talk about Nazis? The Axis powers. That's what you need to be worried about. A lot of you are going, I don't even know about this history. Yeah, there was World War II, right? But there was a time when everybody was worried about it. You haven't even, you haven't even, it's just history to you. The Soviet Union. I, I can still feel that one, actually. I can still, if I, if I spend long enough time, I, still, I can still remember being afraid and knowing I have to be afraid. Oh, that's long since gone. Oh, do you remember like Saddam Hussein in Iraq? Ooh, that was a scary one. Remember that? No, not anymore. Oh, that's right, North Korea. Yeah, that's real. Unlike all the other ones, that one, that's, that one we should be worried about. Why, why do we do that? Why, why in 1988 was I so concerned about the Soviet Union? Like, it's just moments away. It's literally, it would take about as long as a, as a woman to conceive and to have a child and that child to be really, really young in 1988. And then everything, that's what he's pointing at right here. This young woman is going to be with child and they're going to have that child. And by the time that child is able to say, my father or mommy or daddy, the prophecy that I gave you, which is that those two cigarettes that I just flicked out of my hand, those two burning stumps, you'll see them as burning stumps. That's where the prophecy comes into play. What he's saying is, in a very short period of time, you're going to see me. God is pointing out to Ahaz, like, I don't need you to talk to me to be involved in what's going on with you. You ever thought about that? We are never reminding God of the circumstances that are going on in our lives. Like, somehow he is unaware. God, do you know what's going on in my life? King Ahaz, I just see these nations, and, and literally within three years, Syria is wiped off the map. They're like a burning stump. Within 10 years of this prophecy, Israel is gone. Ahaz, what are you afraid about? Like what you were afraid of just a few short years ago, they're now gone. What are you afraid about now? And, and, and Ahaz, just like we learn how to do, we come up with a new thing to be worried about. Well, now I'm worried about Assyria. Well, they're not going to destroy you either. Oh, okay, I'll wait till something else comes and then I'll worry about that. That's our human condition. That's me. I know how to be worried about today. And what Isaiah teaches us is that we don't need to worry about today because God has it. Now, by the way, that doesn't mean it's, and it's going to be just great. No, there, there's going to be difficulty ahead. But God has it. See, one of the great Christian questions, one of the great questions, human questions, is this. Do you believe in God or do you believe in a better tomorrow? Do you believe in God? Do you believe in, in the midst of it all and through it all? Or do you just have hope in hope or faith in faith or a belief that somehow tomorrow is going to be better than yesterday? 
And Ahaz had to deal with the reality of, no, I, I believe in God, not just a better tomorrow. I believe that God will take me through. I believe that God will carry me through. I believe that God will protect me through. And that's how this continues. Turn to Isaiah chapter 8, verse 11. Isaiah chapter 8, God, God, I love this statement because it's very interesting. Ahaz is worried about the wrong thing. And, and we'll see that there is something to have a healthy concern about. Verse 11, for the Lord spoke thus to me with his strong, and up, uh, with a, with his strong hand upon me and warned me not to walk in the way of this people, meaning everyone else just knew how to be freaked out. Okay, one of the, I mean, I really do. I have to be very careful that I don't spend too much time. I'm not big on Facebook, but I'm on Twitter quite a bit. I really have to be careful that I don't spend a lot of time reading it. Because if I did, I would just get scared and depressed. Because I, I, I am. I, there's nothing special about me, like intrinsically in me, that just gets rid of fears and anxieties and, and concerns. When I am around other people that are talking like that and thinking about that and just only know how to panic, I'd love to say that I can just be just the coolest cucumber in the room. No, I really can't. I get nervous too. You make me nervous. I wasn't afraid, but now I know I, maybe I should be afraid, so now I'm afraid. Notice what God says to Isaiah. Don't be like them. Don't act like them. Don't, don't respond like them to the threats. Why? Look at this, verse 12. So do not call conspiracy all that this people call conspiracy. And do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. But the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear. Let him be your dread. There you go. How about that? Want something to be afraid of? Be afraid of God. Now, by the way, it's, it's not because he hates you, even work. No, it's not that. It's like, be afraid of God. And when you have the healthy understanding that what Israel is doing and what Syria is doing, what Assyria is doing, what North Korea is doing, like all of these things stand under like sovereign control of the one who controls it all. Like, why are you afraid of them? Like, be afraid of God. And when you're afraid of God, you're in favor with God. And when you're in favor with God, what is there to fear? You see how that works? This is what Isaiah is trying to let his people, his king, know. Notice verse 14. This actually comes up in the Gospels. And he, speaking of God, who becomes this sanctuary and a stone of offense. Isn't that interesting? A place where you can go a hide that causes everybody else to trip. Do you know that's what Jesus is? Like I know I'm kind of sneaking a little bit into Jesus' day. God. Before Jesus comes, God is one that is a sanctuary and a stumbling block. People go to him and they find hope, and other people are just mad about him. Notice how it continues. A rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and many shall stumble upon it. They shall fall and be broken. They shall be snared and taken away. What God is, who God is, and what God does is both simultaneously a place of refuge and a stumbling offense. Why? Because to, to do this, to trust in God, means to let go of what your plan is. To let go of your right to be afraid and anxious. To let go of the, your, the concerning and the level of planning that you're calling responsible, but in the end, it is just fear. You willing to do that? No. Okay, then he'll be a stumbling block to you. God will continue to be a stumbling block to you. 
He will continue to get in the way of your plans and your purpose for your life. As long as you know what is best, as long as you know how God made you, as long as you know the right way to do it, then you can try to work it out that way. By the way, God will just be a problem for you. A problem to be fixed, a problem to be explained, a problem to be ignored. But for those who decide to trust in him, he'll be a sanctuary. Notice how it continues. Turn to Isaiah chapter 9. This great plan of God is actually going to kind of change the shape of everything. It's not... It's not just that God's going to take care of these two burning stumps, but then more than that, like God is going to come and provide a degree of rescue that extends further than that. By the way, we're still in Isaiah's day, 9-2. The people who have walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them a light shone. God is describing that there is going to come hope. There is going to come rescue. Do you believe me, Ahaz? No, I don't believe you. Uh, There's too many threats for me to believe what is going on. How can I believe this? Jump down to verse 6 of Isaiah 9. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government... And of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So, what is driving all of this? Is it Ahaz's faithfulness? Is it Isaiah's faithfulness? What is it? What is so fascinating about the Bible that is so, I'm always surprised at why this comes to me late in my prayer walk, late in my, in my concerns and my anxiousness, that God has a greater desire for us, for his plan for us, which can be as specific as your tomorrow and as absolutely complete and extensive as all of our future. And God has a zeal for that. He's passionate about that. Like when you go to him in prayer and you're trying to make him aware of how important the time is, he cares more, not just knows more. He is more zealous about your circumstances than you are. Do you know that? He is more zealous to redeem, to restore you than you are. You're not informing him. And you're also not trying to, like, pull his heart towards you. You're not trying to make him more zealous. God, do you know know what's going on? And do you know what you really should care about? (laughs) Yeah, let him know. No, his heart and his mind are already there. Which is interesting because that causes us, much like like in Isaiah's day, like King Ahaz, I'm not going to ask you anything. I know a number of us right now don't want to ask God anything because God's already made up his mind and he's going to do it. And so I'm not going to ask him, just like King Ahaz. And that always protects you from being disappointed. You know, like when you've got a real problem and you really want to ask God, but I'm not going to ask him because I doubt if he's going to do it. And so you just decided to play the Ahaz game and just kind of just let him figure it out. A lot of that's just being rebellious. You know that, right? A lot of that's not believing Then the other extreme is to just, you know, if we just believe it and if we just have faith and if we just, which by the way also is not biblical. The answer isn't to say nothing and the answer is not to presume upon God your plan for your life. 
it's like a relationship that a child has with a parent. That the child knows how just how big and strong mommy and daddy are and just that they, they would do anything for me. But they wouldn't do anything for me because they love me. And so I'm going to ask mom and dad what I want. I'm going to let them know my heart's content and then trust. I was not that child. <laughs> I knew how to pout and I knew how to, I'm not going to ask you for what I want because I don't think you're going to get it for me. Ask me if I should keep going, right? No, what we learned in Isaiah's day is that God has a plan and a purpose. I love the reading of verses 6 and 7. There's going to be a child, and they're going to call him Wonderful Counselor and Mighty Prince of Peace and Everlasting God, and of his kingdom there will be no end. What God was asking Ahaz to see is not just these two stumps are now gone, but more long-term Ahaz, like, I've got a plan that will be used by your people that I'm I'm going somewhere. I want you to to look deeper into my plan. I want you to see beyond just the circumstances that you find yourself in. I don't want to just worry about yesterday looking backwards all the time. I need you to actually be concerned about the future and to trust me with that. And there's going to be a remnant that's going to go away. Like ultimately, I'm not going to always burn up every tree that's scaring you. Ultimately, Babylon is going to come and take you into captivity, but even then I have not deserted you. And Ahaz gets to see this incredibly rich story of God's love and God's plan and God's purpose. That God has a plan for the nation of Israel, through them and even in spite of them. That leads us to the time of Jesus. Turn to your Gospels. I want to look in Matthew's Gospel a couple of places, and then we'll be in Luke. So in Jesus' day, what we see after 400 years of silence and 740 years after Isaiah has encountered um, King Ahaz at that water well, we actually see now, as Paul says, in the fullness of time, God comes and he reveals himself by seeing much deeper what Isaiah said when he said, God is with us. For Ahaz, it meant that God was going to destroy the enemy, but it's not just what God means. When God says, I'm going to be with you, There's more going on. It's much like the word uh, virgin, actually. The word alma is the Hebrew word for virgin. In Isaiah's day, it meant everything from a virgin, literally a, a woman who has not had sexual relations, to a young person. Not necessarily describing that person's sexual history, but it could be a young person. That's what the word alma, it means this and this. A number of years ago, scholars decided that they were going to take a look at that word, Alma, and and in the Isaiah text, translate it. And instead of calling it virgin, they were going to call it young woman, because that's what the Hebrew word could mean. By the way, it's most likely describing Isaiah's wife. And I don't know a scholar that believes she was actually a virgin when she gave birth. So I, I honestly, I remember studying in grad school and thinking, yeah, young woman's not a bad translation for what's going on in Isaiah 7, 14. But God had more to the story. The word virgin in the Greek that is used to describe Mary is parthenos. And that word means virgin. A woman who has not had sexual relations. See, you have a a wide definition describing a number of things and then a more specific. Maybe because in the Old Testament, as God is describing himself, he seems to be describing himself true in a number of ways. And I will come to you 
And then that coming to you gets more specific, and there should be no confusion here. His name is Jesus. Like God has come in power and through the Assyrian army. God has come in great power and parted waters, and God has come in his greatest power in Jesus Christ. And so Matthew describes this in Jesus' time. All of this, uh, Mary is getting ready to get married, and Joseph's parents picked this wonderful young lady, and they got it all planned out, and man, I just can't wait, and the wedding day is coming, and, and they think they're just going through life. Like, isn't that interesting? You and I can just think we're going through life. Today's Sunday, tomorrow's Monday, and we're just going through life. And God has a zeal, and the Lord of hosts will accomplish his purpose. Have you ever thought that those two could be the same thing? That your tomorrow, God cares about, has a plan and purpose for. Because look at this, all of this, Mary marrying Joseph, all of this, it says, took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Verse 23, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And he's not there to just make sure enemies disappear. He is there to deal with sin. He is there to make peace with God for us on our behalf. In Jesus' day, what we see are the prophecies of Isaiah 7 and 8 and 9 coming to great fulfillment. In Isaiah's, gospel, or in Isaiah's message, it describes this wonderful, Nebulon and Zaphtali are, are two regions that are just kind of like way out there. You know, like Wyoming and Montana. Like way out in Wyoming and Montana, good things are going to start happening, right? From sea to shining sea. And as Jesus' ministry begins, Matthew chapter 4 verse, theme, 4, 4, verse 13 declares, reaching into Isaiah's text and bringing fulfillment to it. What does it say? And leaving Nazareth, this is Jesus about to start his ministry, he went and he lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled, that the people in Naphtali and Zebulun will see a great light and everything is going to change. See, Jesus isn't just randomly trying to find social justice problems and fix them. He's not uh, taking a pulse and figuring out, hey, what's really cool right now and how can I put an end to that? Like Jesus is on his own timetable. He's got a plan and he's got a purpose and he is fulfilling it. And what you and I get to see when we read through the Gospels as we prepare for Christmas is what you and I get to find joy in and to celebrate is that God cares more about just taking care of our periodic enemies and he even seems to care more than just coming and being our friend. What God desires is to be one with us, to be with us. And Jesus Christ puts on human flesh and he solves our greatest problem, which is he makes peace with God through his death on the cross. And so now there's really nothing to be afraid of. Like the enemy has been defeated. You mean Israel and Syria? No. I mean sin and death. What, what, what could sin and death do to you? What could separate you from the love of God? Don't you understand? Jesus Christ has come. He is God with us. This is what the gospel was proclaimed. See, what Israel thought they needed, just like Ahaz thought he needed, was freedom from Rome and from the oppressors. And God in the time of Jesus Christ says, no, it's so much deeper than that. 
Like I alone know the problem is your relationship with me. I'm telling you, you don't need to be worried about a tax plan and you don't need to be worried about North Korea. You don't need to be worried about whether or not you're going to get a job. You don't need to be worried about whether or not your marriage is going to get fixed. You don't need to be worried about whether or not your kids are going to make right decisions. You don't need to worry about all those things. You need to be concerned as to whether or not you and God are at peace today. That the wonderful counselor, the mighty prince of peace, the one whose kingdom will have no end, whether or not you're a part of his kingdom, whether or not you and God right now, right now, are at peace. Because if your greatest concern is what you saw on the news last night or this morning, you're missing something much more significant, something much greater. Luke says it this way. Speaking, the, speaking for the angel, Luke chapter 1, verses 30 through 33. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. You will give him the name Jesus, and he will be great. He'll be called the Son of the Most High God. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Now what's interesting is, is that's not the end of the story. That as much as you would go, well, that's it, right? And then, boom, it's over? No, 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 there's a lot more left. Because the truth is that you and I come here this morning with all of our concerns and all of our problems. And, and by the way, when I, when I describe them and I say, you don't need to worry and you don't need to be anxious, you're, you're going, I know, but I am. And I know because I am too sometimes. I'm just saying that in light of Jesus... And in light of these three great truths, the Bible continually teaches in Isaiah's day and in Jesus' day and in our day today that there is lightness instead of dark. Like light has come. It's very interesting. Isaiah is told, don't be like everybody else and worry like everybody else. Paul says, I don't want you to be ignorant and to grieve like everybody else. Jesus says, I don't want you to act like everybody else and be able to interpret the times and not find me. Don't be like everybody else. Light has come. I spent some time on Friday just sharing with a family that was getting ready to bury their three-year-old daughter who died. I began that service by just reminding everybody that it's at times like this, we as Christians want to act like there are just so many questions and not that many answers. That's actually not true. There are tons of answers. Who, who, who loved little Jenna more than anybody else? God did. Who, who made Jenna? God did. Who right now is taking care and holding Jenna? God is. Who's going to continue to be with that family? God is. Lots of, lots of answers. Well, I don't want to think about that right now. Okay, then say you don't want to pay attention to some of these. By the way, there are still questions. But man, we love to make it out like it's only questions. It's not only questions. There are a lot of answers. And brothers and sisters, there is light instead of darkness. There is hope instead of just fear. Because of who Jesus Christ is. is. Who Jesus Christ is. Second thing that we actually see in Isaiah, Jesus' day, in our day, is that God is with us. That's the reason for our hope. Like, God is with me. God will sustain me. God will hold me through. God will give me the power of his spirit to calm my fears and anxieties. 
God will give me a community of faith to, to, to be with me. And that one day there will be a time and I will be with God and he will be with me and he will wipe away every tear from my eyes. There is a God is with us picture that is not nebulous like Isaiah. And I would say because of Jesus Christ coming in Nazareth, we actually have the fulfillment of this. He was raised from the dead. He is coming back one day and God is with us. Do we believe that? Do we act like that? Do we pray like that? Light has come into our darkness, and God is with us. And to that kingdom, the Bible teaches there will be no end. There'll be no end to this. See, we always have to ask, well, yeah, but you're spiritualizing the text. Well, because part of life is spiritual. You say that like somehow that's not in accordance with reality. How else do you explain all those things that are going on in our hearts and in our minds that are holding us together? God comes and he answers every question, physical and spiritual, relational. God is the one who's the fulfillment of all of these things. And the question, brothers and sisters, that we get to ask, that Ahaz has asked and Jesus' parents had to figure out, and is will you trust God in all of this? Will you trust God with your enemies when he says, oh, they're just burning stumps. And God says, ask for a sign. I don't want to ask for a sign. When Jesus Christ appears and demonstrates his love for you and his plan for you, will you receive him? Like That's the burning question this Christmas. We, we really know how to act like we're upset. Have you noticed that? Everybody likes to act like they're upset. I, I, was, I was told a story about a time when, when Jack Nicholas was golfing. And he's with this other guy, and this guy is just mad, and he's just really, really angry. And Jack Nicholas comes up beside him and says, young, young man, listen, listen. You're not good enough to be that upset. <laughs> Can I tell you? And it's not me, because I'm that, I'm that guy. Jesus Christ puts his arm around us and says, listen, you don't know enough to be worried. You really don't know enough. You haven't experienced enough. I got this. What's there to be merry about this Christmas? Here's what I love. Don't try to pretend that everything is fine. I'll never ask that of you. I'll never ask for you to pretend that everything is fine. Let everything be what it is. And let's realize Jesus has us. Let's pray. God, thank you for having us for fixing Isaiah, Ahaz's problem through the prophet Isaiah, ultimately by coming in Jesus, and then we long for that day when you will come back. And pray, Father, that you would come quickly. For you are good, and we need you desperately. Until that time, may we find peace in you and in you alone. And all God's people said,